Hello and welcome to the MobyCast. This week we have John Kutzier, a the resident mobile economist at Toon. I've worked with Toon for many years. They're a massive uh, mobile attribution and analytics partner in the space, and John's been brought on to be a bit of a, a soothsayer or, or a, about what's happening in the mobile space. So he's an, obviously an ideal guest for the MobyCast. Welcome to the program today, John. How you doing? I'm doing really, really well, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. So I met you first when you were also when you were at VentureBeat, where you sort of headed up their research department as well. Is that right? That's correct. I, um, I mean, I've done a lot of different things, obviously, in in business and technology, and led some tech teams, built some apps. But I, I for a couple of years, I was writing full time for VentureBeat, and then for another couple of years, I built the research uh, department at VentureBeat. Nice. So, talk a little bit about what you're doing at Tune and and why they, you know, why they have a mobile economist on staff. <laughs> well, they invented the term, um, and um, nobody who hears it knows exactly what it means, but everybody kind of gets the point. Um, the idea is simply um, that I do two things. One, I learn. Two, I share. Um, really, really simple. Tune has a massive amount of data. Um, uh, they measure data from an activity on apps um, on 2.2 billion devices globally. Um, and so there's a lot that we can learn from that. There's a lot that we can learn uh, for marketers, for developers, um, for anybody involved in the app economy. Um, and, and my role is to start to unlock some of the wealth there uh, and, and share it uh, with others in the, in the mobile app economy and the mobile economy uh, in general um, so that we can all grow and, and do better. Nice. And as, as I was discussing in our pre-conversation here, the, the mobile space is just changing so much all the time. It's literally on the, on the cutting edge globally. And so you know, having someone keeping their finger on the pulse of that could be really beneficial to, to, such a, uh, you know, to any forward-thinking organization, really, who can, who can support it. Right. Exactly. Nice. Okay, cool. Let's just jump right in here. So you, you recently wrote about the global mobile tipping point that, that you see that the world is sort of ready for in 2016. Uh, can you just just talk about that a little bit? What what you mean by that, and 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 what are some of the hallmarks of this tipping point? Sure, um, you know it's an interesting thing if you look because we're all embedded in our context, right? And so uh, I happen to live in Vancouver, Canada. Tune is a Seattle-based company with offices in seven different countries, including in Europe, Asia, uh, and and around the around the globe. You know the mobile tipping point has long since passed in some senses. Uh, here in North America and in Western Europe, you know, most everybody who wants one has a smartphone. Um, you know, we're very sophisticated, lots of devices, tablets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the rest of the world hasn't always been like that. There's parts of the world that are frankly more advanced in mobile than we are, and there's parts that are, are not. What I'm referring to with the global mobile tipping point is that this year, in 2016, more than half the people on the globe will own a smartphone. So last year, 2015, 800 million people joined that club. This year, as 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 growth, uh, as the numbers increase, but the growth rate de- starts to decrease uh, or continues to decrease, I should say, another 600 million will join that club. And so we'll punch through the 50 percent point globally for people owning smartphones. And that's a game changer. That's a real game changer. Interestingly, it's less of a game changer for us here because we grew up with technology. We had technology, and I say grew up as a society. We have desktops, we have laptops, we have tablets, and 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 we still, uh, although lesser, lesser to a lesser and lesser degree, we still rely on those desktops. We still rely on those laptops. 
but it's a real game changer, especially in places like India, places like China, both of which have more than a billion phones in them uh, individually and a significant and growing percentage of smartphones uh, as well. And that's a game changer there because they haven't grown up with that history and they haven't had the laptops and the desktops. And so that phone in their hand is their computer. It is a computer. We know that, right? It's the everything device, right? It does everything for us. But that is the only computer that many people will ever own. And that is, and having more than 50% of the globe have that in their hands and, uh, and accessible, to me, that's the global tipping point for mobile. That's interesting. So this is from a, from a user standpoint, you really see the, the global tipping point. What I'm also interested in as, a, as an advertising platform is, is is that tipping point going to cause the actual advertiser tipping point to the point where budgets for mobile advertising start to reflect the actual usage statistics versus sort of where they are now, where you've, you still have television and, and desktop spend, you know, really outstripping mobile. So what are your thoughts on, on advertisers kind of catching up with this global tipping point? Really, really interesting question, and we can't do that globally. I mean, we we can look at the global ad spend about six hundred billion dollars a year. We can say that about a third of that um, is digital. Um, and and as I looked at the the the, but we have to go ecosystem by ecosystem to look at where the where the big dollars are being spent. So if we look at North America, for instance, last year I did an analysis and it looked like about a third of of dollars. Uh, were in digital, and a, and a significant chunk uh, of those were moving towards mobile. I just saw something from eMarketer, and I haven't had a chance to look at this report in detail yet, but said that half of digital ad spend uh, was mobile um, in the last part of 2015. So I've really got to check that out and look at that. Hmm. Historically, we've been under-indexed in the amount of of, of ad spend that's happening in mobile compared to the amount of time spent in mobile um, by, by, you know, we're spending more time there than TV. We know that. We saw that in successive years from flurry data that came out. Um, we're spending more time there than, than, than on, our, our, on our computers on average. Uh, not every single person, particularly those who work on their computers daily, but on average in North America, we're spending more time on our mobile devices and on desktop. So that's where the ad dollars are going to go because that's where the time and attention is. That's also where the context is and data is about what people are doing, who they are, where they're going, what matters to them. So we're going to see that increasingly go. In other areas, uh, let's say in India or in, in China, where uh, mobile is the only thing. So, so India, um, you know, has 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 far fewer, let's say, radios per person than phones per person. Far, far, far fewer, for instance, right? Uh, as well as newspapers, especially in rural area. So the phone is the access, it's the digital on-ramp, it's the on-ramp to the digital universe, that is the place to be doing advertising. And we're seeing massive amounts of, of, of dollars go there. In just the U.S. alone, it was about $5 billion ad spent on mobile that was oriented towards app install. And that's going to continue to grow, but that's going to be a bit of a sideshow as we move forward because the brands are coming in increasingly. We saw that in the last quarter, Christmas quarter last year, and they're coming in increasingly. So it may come to a point, Eric, as scary as that may seem, where we'll eventually be over-indexed in terms of ads and mobile because of the value, the data points, the context, and the relevancy, the targeting that you can achieve there uh, versus other platforms. 
more likely, however, we're going to see ads that are tied to mobile, and, and that mobile is, is centered around, uh, and I can get into more detail on that a little later. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. I, I, I can say from an advertiser, you know, an advertising mobile advertising platforms perspective that there's no such thing, obviously, as, <laughs> as spending too much money on mobile. But uh, no, but, but it usually happens that way, right? Where there's quite often an overcorrection in, in markets like this, and 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 things kind of kind of settle back. And of course, we're headed to a a, a period of total convergence as well, where within you know the next five ten years, the lines will totally they already are. They, you know, a lot of places are cross screen. Um, we take we take some benefit in in our our mobile first nature and our ability to really truly understand some of the the hardcore location um, and accompanying other sort of data attributes that come along with mobile. But really, we're headed towards an era of total convergence where you'll be able to access any form of advertising from from individual platforms, be it billboards or and already platforms are, are beginning to aggregate like this. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting things there, right? I mean, in addition to um, your your mobile phone, I think we need a new name, by the way, rather than phone. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a good just accident. I, I like to call it the obelisk. <laughs> you know, because it's the okay. thing that's probably going to be changing us to the next evolution. You know, faster than anything else, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that intelligence that's currently embedded in the phone, I mean, that's migrating rapidly, right, to our wrists, to our to our faces, maybe to our clothing, um, to connected devices. And, and the thing that our phone is, it's our authenticated gateway, right? Um, and, and it just happened to be that, I mean, communication is probably the least person-to-person communication in terms of voice, especially. It's probably the least thing we do in our phones, right? Uh, but But as that continues to happen, you know, we need something that ties, has an authenticated digital identity and, tie, and connects us to the to, to, to everything out there on the internet. Um, but whether it'll continue to be a phone, uh, good question. So you, you are alluding a little bit there to something you've also done a little bit, or, or maybe extensive writing on, is is this idea of the Internet of Things, um, and and if the phone is our gateway to the internet, it's also our sort of you know dynamic node on this thing that we're calling the Internet of Things. Uh, can you just give a little a little intro for, to, to to what the Internet of Things is and 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 sort of where you see it going in the in the coming years? Sure, I'll be brief because I think most of the people that listen to your cast will know uh, quite a bit about it. Um, but I mean, the Internet of Things is the, the idea that I call it smart matter, right? I call it smart matter because the idea is that everything will have some limited degree of intelligence built in, limited with sensors. And a radio of some kind, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, most likely Wi-Fi. Other other forms exist as well, but they'll be we'll, we'll be able to communicate. We'll be able to get data from, and we'll be able to actually issue commands to different things. Most of the intelligence will reside in the cloud, of course. But the idea is that you have this massive mesh of of, of sensors, of data, of of many tiny little processors. And, and you can do smart things. The easiest things and the things we all know about already is like a Nest thermostat and it powers your, 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 your furnace, right? Well, your fridge, right? We saw that at CES. I don't know if you managed to make it there, but Samsung had a fridge. It took a picture of what's inside. So you can see that picture as you're in the, the supermarket uh, and, oh, shoot, I am low on milk. I better get some more. Pretty trivial examples, but it's going to get broader and broader. We see it in enterprise. We see it in business. Um, you see it on Kickstarter. <laughs> Almost every item that you see on a Kickstarter is some kind of smart device that has some kind of app. That's one of the pieces of research that I want to get into is how many apps are being released 
month by month that are actually controlling something in the material world, some device, some some object, some some tool or something like that. And 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 that that uh, as that speeds up. Um, yeah, the phone, what it is currently now, what it, whatever it will become, will be sort of our centerpiece, the gateway, the, the on-ramp, the authenticated controller, the thing that connects us into um, this, this web of smart matter that we can access information from, that we can issue commands to, um, and that you can aggregate up for very, very interesting kinds of data for governments, for companies, um, and, and, and for crowds as well, of course. What a brave new world! That's uh, that's a, I, I've never quite heard it described in like that, and I think uh, smart matter makes a ton of sense for for where we're headed. It's really a a sort of a uh, you know, it's a creation of the for lack of a better word, the matrix. You know, we, we sort of, <laughs> it, it, you know, it really is. We 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 have this world that we've created that's in the cloud and on our devices and in the digital world, and now it's it's sort of spreading back out to the to the physical world and and potentially merging the two. Where we can really, uh, you know, have have access points from anywhere and um, and potentially be accessed from anywhere too. It's interesting times. <laughs> what what if we just become nodes on that matrix? Hey, I mean, I, I I like the idea of merging a lot better than just becoming the matrix and just putting an Oculus on and never moving and doing anything <laughs> in the real world. Um, but it's an interesting world we are moving into. I'm I'm optimistic that we'll be able to keep it. Uh, keep it kind of where we want it to or or either that or it'll happen so subtly that we won't even notice it and then who cares <laughs> upload yourself yeah potentially that will be interesting i just found i just uh, as a side note i just noticed that tune just booked ray kurzweil as your keynote speaker at your event this year at postback is that not freaking awesome that is i mean so ray freaking kurzweil. awesome is amazing. He's an amazing guy, incredible inventor. Um, you know, uh, in so many innovations, so many in inventions, and of course, he's the, the single person that most people associate when they think of the singularity. Right? This increasing, this this massively increasing um, rush of innovation that, that is happening and it's going to uh, exponentially increase and, and accelerate. Um, and uh, yeah, we're super happy to have him. It's a bit of a leap too in terms of uh, the quality of speaker. Like Tim Ferriss is a very good speaker. I've heard him a couple times. He's, he's really good at shortening the work day. And you know, there's there's some other uh, you know Malcolm Gladwell's has a lot of interesting ideas. I, I've seen he was pre at your at your event last year, but to get a guy like Ray Kurzweil, who's just a you know sort of really sort of top level uh, academic public academic futurist is is pretty exciting. I, I definitely will will make sure that I'm there. That is excellent. Yeah, no, he he's going to be wonderful. Of course, he works at Google right now. I think he's in some of the AI areas um, and and a couple other very experimental areas there. So lots to learn from him and lots to you know if we're in the mobile ecosystem, um, you know we need to know where things are going. And um, he's got a pretty good track record of knowing that. So I'm excited. Yeah. So speaking of th of where things are going, you know, I, I've done a lot of user acquisition um, for different campaigns. Always, obviously, operating on a last click attribution model, uh, which you know has its has its benefits if if you're the guy who drove the click. Uh, but I've seen you've done a little writing as well on multi-touch attribution, uh, and I'm interested to know, you know, is it true that does Tune actually have a platform that supports that at this point? We do actually. How is advertiser um, adoption going for something like that? Because I can imagine it's a bit of a, a herding cat scenario. It, it it is in a sense, um, but it isn't in another sense. I mean, um, so you know, it's really interesting if you take a step back and look at the problem, right? I mean, 
Um, Cisco did uh, a study, I think it was probably half a year ago, on on the buyer's journey, on, on the funnel, and, and, and where that goes. And this, I'll, I'll take this back to mobile, I trust, uh, trust me. <laughs> so we're talking the buyer's journey, could be, could be the, 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 the install an app journey or something like that. And they found like 800 paths in this buyer's journey from pinging this place, pinging that place, going to the website, maybe checking out the app or doing various things. We have something that's similar in the journey of a person who owns a mobile a phone, a smartphone. I hate to use the word users. I end up using it quite frequently anyways, but I'm just putting that plug in there. Somebody who might be installing an app or clicking on an ad, a mobile ad, and then purchasing something or learning about something, viewing something. There's always more than one motivation. There's often more than one event that triggers that. And what we can often find is that um, there's multiple things. You see the ad three times, the fourth time you actually notice it, the fifth time you click on it, right? Um, you, 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 you hear about something in one context. A friend mentions something on, on a social media uh, post about, about that thing. You happen to see a, a, a link to a white paper on it. And, and there you go. So the, it's a complex road from, from, from taking somebody down a funnel that a marketer or an app developer or an app marketer wants to take people through. And multi-touch attribution is about recognizing that and rewarding that. Um, if, if, if you, in the last touch attribution, the person who does the last thing, the last click, the last tap, uh, I'm trying to call it tap more frequently than click, but I'm running into resistance on that. <laughs> the last tap before the install, the last tap before somebody opens your app and buys something, you know, is getting all the credit. That's not accurate. It was, it was somebody else's um, ad network and somebody else's ad impression that, you know, led you to even be interested in something and, and maybe see something. So we want to provide credit for that from a from a from a, uh, a brand point of view that's really really valuable from a marketer point of view that's really really valuable you want to know what kind of nexus of events um, led to somebody making a purchase decision making an install decision making a okay I'll check that company out decision right you want to know those things so you know what to focus on what to do what not to do uh, as an ad network uh, which we are not, although we, all part of our business provides some of the back office functionality for ad networks. As a net network, there's actually some good things here too. Sure, you don't get to be the hero with 100% of the of the credit if you just happen to be that last tap, that last click, right? Uh, but um, you also don't get totally screwed because you showed um, me an ad three or four times I didn't actually convert at that point I didn't actually fall through but I kind of got more interested I kind of got more likely to, to tap I kind of got more uh, intrigued and then somebody else comes in last minute swoop boom you know I tap on that ad and there I go I buy something on you know a $200 watch $500 watch on the you know uh, on, on your m-commerce app um, and I get all the credit last guy gets all the credit you know that's 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 not fair either so so we can be more realistic, we can be more um, um, nuanced, and we can be more fair to everybody in the entire ecosystem, I think, with multi-touch attribution. And in the long run, it's only going to help the advertisers directly because it'll just give them a much clearer picture of what that path to purchase looks like. 
Absolutely. It's about getting better together, right? And, and we provide a lot of that data back. You know, I mentioned um, when people think of Tune, they think of the Tune Marketing Console. And, you know, it's a, it's a platform that enables people to know what's going on in their earned, paid, you know, mobile, uh, mobile marketing, as well as, frankly, some desktop, which we've added so you can get a holistic picture, et cetera, et cetera. But the other side of our business is we provide back-end software for um, hundreds of ad networks. Um, and so we want them to get better. And in our certified partner program, we provide them data back on what happens and some of those impressions and then the attributions of things. If we can all get better, maybe we can show people 50% less advertising, but have it be 2%, 200% more relevant, and, and, and we'd all be happier. Yeah, no, I think uh, the less is more approach is something that the industry could, could definitely benefit from. Um, it's it, so one of the big things that that is an issue in 2016. We're seeing a ton of people talking about it. Is uh, the viewability of ad impressions? So the the two headed coin of uh, of ad fraud and ad viewability, and it's it's sort of one of those those issues that there are some there's some interim guidelines out now about what constitutes a viewable ad. I'm wondering from the entr- the attribution and analytics sort of you know the agnostic perspective that a company like Tootin comes from. Is there does a company like yours have a role to play in 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 helping determine what impressions are viewable? You know, w- helping companies sort of clean up clean up the traffic a little bit. Well, we have pretty strict standards for our certified partner program, and that's important. I mean, when we look think about attribution, we think about the effect of of, of advertising or marketing because we do. You know, you want to attribute your marketing as well as your advertising, right? Your owned, your paid, and your earned all all together, right? Um, we think that there's obviously some challenges with some of the viewability criteria that are out there right now. If you look at um, uh, an ad that uh, a video that autoplays as you scroll through your feed, and there's there's three seconds that got, that, that went by. Boom! There there's there's a view. Does that really count? Now I will say there is a positive uptick in brand awareness and and some other positive attributes for having seen that because there is some viewing that's happening there. But what the marketer really cares about at the end of the day is did it work? Did it take somebody farther down the funnel in a measurable way? And can I can I actually measure what that had on on sales uh, or at least some other interim metrics before then? So. We think that uh, it's about effectiveness, um, not about uh, playing with words a little bit. And, you know, w- we see this continual sort of uh, one-upmanship um, between some ad networks. We have this many video views and, and another one, and I'm not going to mention a name because <laughs> there's something coming out <laughs> at some point um, that, that will be interesting uh, from us. But... Um, you know, we have more, we've got more. We've got, you know what? At the end of the day, it's about effectiveness. If three seconds does the job, great, wonderful, excellent. You're happy, consumer's happy, brand is happy, uh, we're happy. If it's not, um, you know, then the view is kind of a meaningless metric. It's kind of like hits in the early days of, of, of the web. You remember hits was, uh, <laughs> I had 10,000 hits to my website. Well, yeah. you know, 9,800 of those were to, uh, one by one pixels that nobody saw, right? and the rest were Google's bots. <laughs> yeah. And you had ten actual visitors. Wasn't that exciting? And you sold zero, right? Yep. You know, so it, it views is interesting, but it's only one metric, and it's very, very top of funnel. Yeah, agreed. And and the, and the further you go down that funnel, the more you will sort of automatically. <laughs> 
filter away from from that you know non-viewable you know sort of fraudulent traffic the, the more the more metrics as an advertiser that you're able to incorporate into your campaigns and allow the advert you know the, the technology behind the ad networks kind of dig into those those deeper levels the the more you'll just sort of automatically filter away from the traffic that you don't want because bots yes. don't buy things and and they do they, they can apparently fill out forms but they don't. But they don't do it as often. You know, you're, you're getting to, to smarter bots down at that level, and and so the further you go down there, you'll automatically filter away from that crap. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's an interesting trend. Yeah, I think uh, I think it definitely has some maturation um, to to go and you know different companies are kind of coming out with their hundred percent guaranteed viewable, and and you have to wonder how much of that is just sort of a gambit until. You know, they they get an integral ad science or someone to actually go and, and look at the traffic. Um, yes, you know it's gonna gonna be interesting to see the way this plays out. Yeah, I agree to say the least. Nice. Well, to wrap it up here, can you give me any a big hairy prediction for 2016 that you think will actually really really sort of happen? You know, maybe from a from a mobile advertiser perspective or something you see, you see happening in the mobile space in 2016. Sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try a, I'll try a, a couple of them maybe. And I, I did 16. Uh, so anybody who's listening, if you Google mobile tipping point 16 predictions for 2016, you'll see all 16 of them. Um, that's <laughs> on the, the tune blog. Um, you know, one of them, I, this is not too big or too hairy. Mobile's going to get more expensive. It's going to get quite a bit more expensive because the amount of money that's flowing in now is outpacing the increase in attention. There's a there's some upper limit. I don't know what it is, but there's some upper limit to the amount of attention that we have. Mobile kind of fills the spaces, fills the gaps, right? In in the day, um, it's the time while you're commuting. It's the time while you're waiting in the line. It's the time while oh, I don't know what else I'm doing or something like that. Um, and and there's some upper limit to that. Whether it's three hours, four hours six hours whatever whatever it is there's some upper limit money is flowing in the the, the mobile first companies are still going crazy especially the gaming companies to get the installs the brands are coming in increasingly um, to 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 move people down the purchase funnel to actually make sales m commerce is growing significantly um, so we're we're seeing the prices are going to go up we already see that for install ads for instance very easy to spend between two and four dollars. Very, very easy. Not difficult at all to spend up to fifty dollars for very selected uh, users. And frankly, that's the case for for retail apps as well. Uh, there, there's a broad strategy, but there's also uh, uh, there's a shotgun, but there's also a rifle where you're going after specific, very, very high value users. Um, so I have seen that, and and it does exist, and and you know it can. Uh, people can actually make money on that. I mean, a couple other ones that that are maybe um, a little, um, you know, here's an obvious one. Everybody knows this, and it doesn't matter to you unless you're global. Uh, although it does, because some interesting things are happening there. Almost all the growth is happening in Asia right now in terms of smartphone penetration. What's interesting about that is that we're seeing models in India for e-commerce that while they don't return as much. Uh, as high a number of dollars per se as we see in e-commerce in North America are much more deeply enculturated uh, into the environment, into the into the the mobile economy is coming alive there, um, and I think that we see part of the future for us. We see our e-commerce growing between twenty and fifty percent per annually to twenty twenty, with the higher numbers on the on the early years and the lower numbers on the later years, um, and I think we see some of what's interesting um, there that we're going to see here as well. 
maybe one other thing. Uh, I don't know if you if you have no time, I yeah, go for <laughs> it. I think we're going to see increased investment from Asian giants into North America, uh, which is something that we really didn't see uh, years and years ago. Uh, but we have seen recently with Alibaba coming in, with Tencent coming in. Um, I think you know we're going to see some interesting things. In addition, that that Chinese companies, particularly Korean, maybe Japanese, will do in the North America space, then in North American space, in the Western Europe space, and I think we'll see some of that from India as well, where we've got some real giants like the Flipkarts uh, that are doing amazing, interesting things there, and going to take some things there from that vastly, that vast and rapidly expanding, rapidly evolving, growing marketplace, uh, and apply them here and have some interesting, interesting successes. Wow! Yeah, that's uh, those are some some great predictions. I, I'm I'm especially interested in in seeing M Commerce flourish uh, all over the world uh, in, in the U.S. specifically. I know I know that's something that's that's shifting where people are actually much more willing to actually complete the purchase funnel, uh, you know, on their mobile devices, and and especially in the third world where these are, as you say, their computers uh, versus the desktops that we've kind of uh, grown up with uh, from dial up all the way on. Um, the fact that they have these devices um, and are making these purchases right away is, a, is an interesting factor for sure. It is so utterly lame that you leave your house with your phone, but you also need to take a wallet with a couple credit cards, with a driver's license. That you, you want to cross a border, you need to take a, a paper um, passport. It, it's so utterly lame. The mobile device is the most personal computing device in history um, and is the most closely tied to your actual identity. And, um, and you know, there's, there's, um, we're getting close there, but we're, we, you know, there, there's some, some ways to go. Nice, and you and Tune and uh, and GoToMobi too will be leading the charge to, to this brave <laughs> Very new good. world. Very nice, John. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program today. If people want to get in touch with you or they want to follow you, uh, imagine Twitter is the best place for that. Twitter is a great place for that. Uh, Facebook also. And I think we dropped you. <laughs> <laughs>